0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
1: As a heads up, this episode does contain spoilers for Seasons 1 through 3 of Ozark.
2: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Women, a special two-part series made in
1: collaboration with Netflix.
2: I'm LaToya Ferguson.
1: And I'm Antara Grudo.
2: And in this miniseries, we're going to be talking about two Netflix series and the fascinating female characters that define them. First up is Ozark, the crime drama series that wrapped up its third season this year. This was the season that so many of the female characters stepped up to their families in a big way. And later on in this episode, Ange, you'll be talking to two of the series' biggest stars about that.
1: That's right. I talked to Laura Linney, who plays Wendy Bird, and Julia Garner, who plays Ruth Langmore, and who actually won an Emmy for that role last year. This year, they're both nominated, and you can really see why. I think season three is really a showcase of how far these two are willing to kind of push their limits and really reckoning with the impact they have on the people around them and the people they care about. Plus, we get some new fun insults from Ruth, which I always appreciate.
2: Yes, and of course, uh, Ruth throwing a man Overboard, which is beautiful. Just <laughs> we beautiful. love pushing
1: men over boats. It's the best.
2: <laughs> so let's talk about where we have found uh, Wendy and Ruth this season, you know, and some of the other women who've crossed their paths. Wendy, especially, has decided to take more of a leadership role in the family business uh, with regards to the Navarro cartel. That's very much at odds with Marty throughout the season as she has her idea to. Turn the cartel legit. Uh, what, whereas Marty is just trying to keep the status quo, uh, as he says, keep them safe, and then eventually get out. Uh, what did you think about this battle for the future of the, the Bird family?
1: I think it's funny because Marty's message seems to consistently be like, no, it's all normal. Everything's so normal. He's always reassuring his kids, like, don't worry, we're good. And I think. Wendy tries to cover that up, too, but in a sense, I think she kind of accepts that, like, their real new normal is that they kind of have to get an edge over Helen and an edge over everybody else in order to, like, properly succeed. It seems like she's tired of kind of falling behind or, you know, just being on a deadline of getting murdered by a cartel. Um, which is reasonable. And I also really like my favorite dynamic this season might be between her and Helen, because Mm -hmm. you really start to see the similarities between the two, and we really start to humanize Helen and see her as a mother and not just this terrifying lawyer that works for uh, Navarro. Mm -hmm. And...
2: The thing is, you know, Ozark's compared often to Breaking Bad. And I think this season especially shows, you know, what is the story if both the husband and the wife are Walter White? And how does that look? And, you know, it's really easy to get on Wendy's side, especially compared to Marty, because he is, you know, Marty's the one who's bugging his wife's phone. He's you know, ignoring Ruth when she's trying to do work at the casino. And then once she does the work, he's like, what were you doing? Well, she said, she said, don't tell me this. Uh, But, you know, Wendy is not exactly a, a better figurehead. She's not a better person either. And he even points that out too, you know, she's letting people die and then just, you know, pretending it's not her fault, which of course comes to a major head when she makes the call to have her, her her own brother murdered at the end of the season.
1: That's right. I'm really curious to see where Wendy goes from that next season, because I think in a lot of ways, Ben reminded me of Mason, the preacher, who's just kind of like represents pure innocence. And anytime I see someone who's like a little too bright eyed, I'm like, please stay away from the birds. This is just a terrible idea. Uh, It's not going to end great. And like, sure enough, that's what happens with Ben. But you're right. I think Wendy is, is getting extremely ambitious. She has the respect of Navarro. He says she knows what she wants. And I think She's making some really risky moves in this season, um, including, you know, calling a cartel boss and uh, telling him off for the horse farm incident.
2: Wendy acts very, very familiar this season in a way. Yes.
1: Uh. <laughs> familiar is a good word for it. It's very much like a call the manager kind of situation. Oh, yes. but the manager is the head of a drug cartel in Mexico. Which, it's, it's very bold. It's kind of
2: the same energy that Ruth has, but I, I imagine even Ruth wouldn't do that. Even she wouldn't go as far as, if she had Navarro's number, she wouldn't call him.
1: No, I think Ruth has a good understanding of who she can touch, or when she's wronged and when to act, because I think there's a difference between Wendy calling a crime boss who's taking this action to fight another crime boss at the horse farm incident versus Ruth, who was almost beaten to death and wants revenge for that. And and it's kind of like the principle of the thing, which I, which I see why she is kind of starting to align with Darlene by the end of the season, even though I personally find Darlene maybe the most terrifying in the show.
2: Oh, uh, Darlene is terrifying do you want to talk about that and her new relationship this season
1: yeah of, of all the people she seems like the most unhinged i think wendy is scary now in a sense that she's like ice cold and and she's making these really serious decisions that she she's starting to kill people whereas darlene runs very hot and reacts on impulse So, you know, her keeping a baby that is like the child of a woman she murdered (laughs) Mm -hmm. and her now taking in Wyatt is a very strange dynamic. I was, yeah, like she's essentially grooms him at the start of the season and then they start a relationship. I mean, she literally grooms him. She washes his hair, which he's needed some shampoo for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not sure I wanted Darlene to be the one to provide it, but. I think that actually makes
2: her the hero of the show now.
1: (laughs) Right. This is like the most righteous thing that absolves her of any other crime she's done. She's like, finally passed that kid a bottle of shampoo.
2: <laughs> but yeah, uh, just the way when she tells Wyatt about how she killed her husband and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, he realizes he I think in that moment he realizes he, he's gotten in too deep. He, he can't. <laughs> he, he clearly cannot leave her uh, because he even thinks about it. Uh, he's next. So now he's stuck. He he got so warped by her to believe that, you know, she's in the right, because, you know, the birds, of course, evil, which, to mm-hmm. be fair, the birds are evil. Right. Uh, but he, she made him think that she really is innocent in all of this, so when that moment happens, and you can just kind of see in his head, he's like, well, I made the wrong choice with this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Where do you think Wyatt's going to end up? Do you think he's kind of playing, like, a long game to get out of there? Because it's definitely a situation where he- You can kind of see it in his eyes that he can't just up and reject her Um, because, again, Darlene is not someone who takes offense lightly. I don't know if White's
2: really even capable of playing a long game, really. (laughs) I I think he will take an opening to leave if he finds one, but I don't know that he will find one. I think he's kind of just resigned himself now to uh, he is her new man and that's that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's pretty unnerving if if the gender roles were reversed, it would be I think it it, would still be calling it like a very creepy scenario where you mean someone so young is just being pulled into this. And (laughs) why is also another person who's like so bright eyed and things have just happened to where you kind of just want to be like, just go to college, please get out of here. And you're like, oh, this is I'm worried about you, buddy. I mean, yeah, that's
2: the beginning of the season where Ruth is just, she's like, I'm I'm sending you money and you're not accepting it. She sent him quite a bit of money and he didn't accept it. And uh, it almost seems like a little bit of levity at first when, you know, he's squatting in houses and, you know, he's living the life. Uh, And that turns south very, very quickly, that little brief moment of him possibly having, uh, quote-unquote, fun.
1: Right. It's very hard for these people to kind of, like, live up to this... American ideal and this dream they have. I think every character in the show has some sort of goal they want to get to. The season even ends on talking about Ben's five-year plan. But, you know, there's obstacles that are just always going to be in the way or circumstances that don't allow that from where they come from. And the birds have been able to elevate that, but they, of course, are also constrained by, you know, the... Mistakes that they kind of keep falling into.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, they live in a literal glass house, uh, (laughs) as Wendy even points out during the season. And now entering, of course, the world, as we've talked about to kind of dance around Ben, Wendy's brother, played by Tom Mm -hmm. Pelfrey, who uh, the first time I ever saw him in anything was uh, the Cinemax series Banshee. Uh, Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've always, every time I see him in something, I just, I worry about him way too much. And I'm just like, I just want you to be okay. So seeing him in Ozark, I had that feeling and it escalated with every episode and um, it didn't happen for him. He did not end up okay, partially because he entered their world, but it was one of those things where with the character and when we learn about him, like he was always going to have kind of a terrible ending, it seems.
1: Yes. Yeah, so he's brought up, I believe, in season one where Wendy kind of hints that her brothers had troubles in the past and she's worrying about Jonah's future. So that's how you're introduced to him in this season. He's kind of a liability from the Mm -hmm. get-go, but he's also family and he's also so deep down he's kind and Ruth sees that. And I like that we get to see Ruth kind of, like, bring that out of him. Mm -hmm. But in the world of the birds, and the world of all this crime, he's too bright-eyed. He's too positive. He thinks everything's going to work out. And, like, when he calls Helen to try to fix things, you're just like, that's absolutely not going to happen. Yeah. What what did you think of... um, how his story played out and what did you think of the turning point of this season because i think the charity event is kind of where we really know things are about to turn down for him yeah
2: so marty this whole season of course just you know trying to get ben out of there he's trying to get Wendy to kick him out Mm -hmm. but you know had that actually worked you know, it wouldn't have ended well for Ben there either. If he would just, if his sister had just kicked him out the way she had, like he wanted her to, but throughout the whole season, I'm just like, cause we, we were introduced to him in the classroom as a substitute teacher where he snaps, uh, in a way I'm sure plenty of teachers wish, wish they could, which is throwing all of the children's <laughs> phones in the wood chipper. Right. Um, so we're introduced to him that way. So we know something's up, but then, you know, he's like a really sweet guy. He's a, a good uncle. It seems good brother. Mm-hmm. And then slowly you realize what exactly it is. He's bipolar, as we learn. And it's just, I just, my heart breaks for the character the whole time. My heart breaks for Ruth realizing that, you know, this is not going to end well for her in the relationship because they're really, they're honestly very sweet together. Um, When he gets her a breakfast burrito, she's like, I like French toast sticks. That's really sweet.
1: Yeah. He knows a man bringing you breakfast out of nowhere. Always going to be great. Yeah, it's
2: really sweet. And the the part that really just killed me while watching it is when he's locked up and he, you know, he's told, you know, he's going to be sent to a facility mm-hmm. and he's just screaming for Wendy that he doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. That right there, uh, that that was really just heart-wrenching. And it's just it's not even their situation that necessarily makes things so terrible for Ben. It's just that even if they were perhaps, you know, if they had the, the perfect life that they and it kind of looks like on um, also they had it, without it being criminal. I don't think they would really help him out the way he needs to be helped anyway.
1: Right. I mean, I think he said he had been institutionalized before by mm-hmm. Wendy. She had promised yeah. not to do it again. I think, yeah, that scene is especially hard for Wendy and for him because, you know, those two have been there before. You know, Wendy has been doing everything in her power to kind of prevent this from happening. And then it happens anyway. And Mm -hmm. something that also kind of really hurts is by the end of the season when she's arguing with Ruth is she says, if you hadn't pulled him out, he was safe. If you hadn't pulled him out, then he would still be alive. He would still be there. And. I think Wendy's trying to protect herself from the fact that if he had never come to them in Missouri in the first place, then he would still be safe. It it really it doesn't all you know fall on Ruth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: Ruth, you know, she's she's getting this relationship with Ben. She's also uh, getting more responsibilities at the casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, especially early in the season. And uh, we have an example of it not working out, but I still think it could work. Uh, they show a lot of how she could take over for Marty and like run this whole operation herself. Of course, later, it's like Marty's in Mexico and everything kind of <laughs> goes insane. Right. But that was clearly a test uh, to figure that out. But I still think that if put in charge, uh, I think the season really proves that Ruth could do what she has to do.
1: Yes. I'm kind of curious to see where she goes from here. It's tough. Yeah, I want I want her to like take over for Marty. I want her to kind of get on his level. But at the same time, when she yells, I quit and screams in Wendy's face and really finally gives her a talking to that, like both of them need to hear. I'm like, please just get out of there. Like, you really want that to happen.
2: Mm -hmm. Love yourself, girl.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Love yourself. Get out of the drug cartel game. It's not good for you. Yeah.
2: Of all the criminals on this show, uh, the one I'm rooting for most is Ruth, I would say.
1: Oh, I think another probably, I think one of the standout moments, and I think it was a very telling line from Wendy, is she says, like, we dragged you out of that trailer. Um, Mm -hmm. And kind of like, you're welcome for kind of bringing you up and, you know, helping you as if she hasn't done anything herself. And this is like a handout from them. And Marty kind of did the same thing, I think, in the earlier seasons where, Mm -hmm. you know, he felt like he was doing her a solid. And she was like, I did the work. I think it's really indicative of. The total ego of Mm -hmm. the birds. Yeah, they're they're
2: two sides of the same coin.
1: Right. Yeah, they think they're just like, well, you know, what we're doing is the right thing. And like, you're welcome for stepping in. And it's like, I'm not sure if you guys are helping that much. Mm -hmm.
2: Because you guys seem to be messing up a lot of things, actually.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, What was your favorite moment this season? I
2: really do kind of love when Marty has been kidnapped to Mexico and they're just all freaking out and yelling at each other, trying to figure out where to go. It's just like, come on, guys. Like, I'm just thinking, you guys are just giving Marty more ammo for when he comes back. And all you do is prove that you really do need him. The thing about Marty is that it's so easy to just like him the most, but like, they're all kind of equal levels of terrible.
1: Right. Uh, just
2: his terrible has translated now into purchasing an arcade machine to play in the garage to ignore what's happening in the world. but I think I do think a lot of the season it just is a reminder no Wendy's a mess like when she goes to their old
1: family house and decides
2: mm-hmm. to destroy it, leaving a bunch of evidence that's something that needs to be followed upon by, by the way
1: yeah, again, Wendy likes to think that she's like the rational person, like, making all these smart decisions. And, you know, I think she keeps talking about her brother. Like, he's, she keeps saying he's sick, he's sick, and he acts on impulse. But we see, like, a lot of impulsive decisions from Wendy this yeah. season. And I'm curious if it will, like, really come back to bite her uh, in season four.
2: I imagine it will with Navarro getting even more invested in them. And uh, one thing about the season I really just love in general is that the Ario Speedwagon bit came to fruition? <laughs> yes. I love that it was just like, oh, well, I want Ario Speedwagon to play. So and then Ario Speedwagon did play, and that was a central part of an episode, and that's just beautiful.
1: Yeah, I'm really curious how that came to be and locking those guys in. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they were free. They had some time.
2: I bet they love Ozark. Right. Now that we, of course, have spoken about this season and uh, how these characters have made it work so well, let's actually talk to the people behind it and let's listen to Anna's conversation with Laura Linney and Julia Garner.
1: Well, first off, I want to congratulate you guys. You were recently nominated for Best Lead Actress, Laura. And Julia, you're nominated again for Best Supporting After Your Win last year. Um, And another thing I've learned you two have in common is that you've considered attending this year in your pajamas. Is that going to happen this year?
3: Is that happening, Laura? I didn't know that. You know, I'm open to many options, but, I mean, when we have the ability to do it, why not?
0: That's what I've been saying. I've been saying, like, this is the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where it's going to be socially acceptable to wear your pajamas at an award show.
1: (laughs) Right. And then you don't have to deal with, like, you know, who are you wearing. You can just be like, it's my PJs, and they're very comfortable. Yeah, but you can still make them cute. You can have, like, a cute silk
0: matching pajama. (laughs)
1: But you guys were also nominated, Ozark was nominated for 18 Emmys in total. So that includes writing, directing, and nominations for Jason as well. And I think it really speaks to the collaborative efforts of the show and everyone on Ozark. And I think there's been a really positive response to this third season. So... Laura, we'll start with you, um, and then we'll go to Julia. And feel free to talk about spoilers openly. What do you guys think differentiates this season of Ozark from season one and two? And what do you think are, like, the themes of your character throughout season three?
3: Well, I thank you for thinking that the show's getting better and better. And I, I think that's really just a testament to the power of time. And when you have a group of people who get along as well as we do, who love the work that we are lucky enough to do the more time you get to do it together the better you get so we get to know each other we know each other much better and also the audience knows us and knows our characters better so I think we all get to start from a deeper place every season that we get to return but I'm from the theater and that's what I know to be true about the theater so I think it does translate into um, an ensemble of people when they have the opportunity to keep working together over a long period of time.
1: Yeah, you guys were saying just before we started recording that this next season will be the last season and uh, it'll be hard to kind of separate from that when it's all done.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a very special show. I mean, it's a very safe space when you're putting yourself out there with acting and just it, work in general. Not that you're afraid to be judged, but you don't ever feel like you're being, like it's like, there's unconditional love all around
3: everyone on our show makes everyone else better the strength of our of our show is not just the acting it's not just the writing it's Mm -hmm. not just the directing but it's also all the design aspects of our show and the people in the office and our producers and our studio and our network so it's this really rare landscape that every single area is kind of working at top capacity so there's a balance and I think everyone sort of Inspires everybody else. It's a rare environment,
0: <laughs> and everybody is also so good at their job. So, like, you show up to work and you're like, you can't just wing it. You know what I mean? Because everybody is so. I mean, look who I'm who we're talking to right now. I mean, we're talking to <laughs> Lory. Like, so you can't. You can never wing it with You know, you can't just be like, I'm gonna figure it out on the day. You know.
3: But yeah, you, you want to be better for everybody else. For
0: right? everybody else, yeah. yeah.
3: You know our production designer who's worked really hard to create yes. an environment and you want to make sure you don't waste the time on that set. You know you know that the props person has found the exact right, whatever it is, cup to hold or... Blot machine. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, you just want to value everything that's around you.
1: What was it like having your costumes kind of be a little different this year, Julia? I know you talked about how you had like french nails and i remember thinking like that seems like an odd choice for ruth um and and that was a choice you made yeah well they're not just like french
0: nails that are like 80 dollars for you know a right. gel manicure they're like press on nails from right. cvs you know and that's that's what she's <laughs> you know yeah. she's trying to be something that she's not i mean that's the whole thing for the season but she's pressing them on and and um in the beginning of the season and then basically when there's a certain moment in the season where she's like okay with who she is and she's not a bird and she kind of takes them off i know it sounds like kind of ridiculous but those little details make a difference i mean even with my shoes like even in season 1 i remember having a fitting and i asked for like a wedged flip-flop, you know, that you get at those pharmacists, like those styrofoam ones that are kind of just funny. And that, and that actually kind of somehow like, kind of morphed into that weird walk. Like all those little things matter in a way, you know, and also even with the nails, it's like she's, like, typing on the phone and she's, like, trying to be something that she's not.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it even speaks to, like, I noticed she starts wearing a blazer and I feel like, you know, even if it's dealing with crime and the Ozarks, Ruth is still kind of, like, a millennial trying to fit in and it seems like she has a bit of, like, imposter syndrome and she's like, if I have a blazer, I can kind of try to blend in, though.
0: Yeah, she's, she's a con con woman. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like they're all con people. in a
1: not I think, yeah, I think for a long time, Wendy seemed to be convincing herself that she was a little bit normal. But um, Laura, you can speak to this. We're definitely seeing the more rebellious side of Wendy again. Last time you spoke with us, with Richard Lawson, you said you weren't surprised by her choices this season. And I think one of the standout examples is after she meets Navarro, she breaks into her old Chicago home and starts turning pictures upside down. So her rebellious nature is kind of meeting in the middle with her political ambitions. Did you think that side of Wendy would come out when you first had that monologue back in season one?
3: I hoped that it would. You know, it certainly was planting a seed. And there are hints throughout the entire first season that she was sitting on a past and an identity that had been sort of pushed down. You know, I always say there's a reason she knows why to fling
1: a possum. Yeah, that was definitely something I took note of season one. (laughs) People
0: should take you up on that quote. There's a reason why Wendy knows how to fling a possum. It's true. (laughs) It's very true. (laughs) (laughs) She got it right on the first try. It was
1: definitely suspect. Yeah, she says she feels like a, a fraud back then. And I feel like this is kind of her, maybe this is the real Wendy. And there's no dialogue in that scene. What do you think is kind of going through Wendy's head when she's breaking into her old home?
3: Well, it's a whole, it's, I think it's a whole combination of things. I think there's, Mm -hmm. you know, tremendous pain that in many ways she feels responsible for the downfall of the family, the the displacement of the family that, you know, they've had to go to the Ozarks because she had that affair and that sort of kicked everything off. And so there, in some ways, there's tremendous resentment for the family that's in that house. You know, it really should still be them. And in, in some ways, I think she feels karmically, she would, she never deserved that to begin with. So she resorts the same behavior that she had as an adolescent, which was breaking into houses and sort of just messing with things just a little bit out of, you know, resentment and pain and, and a weird sense of desire.
1: Yeah, she's making some pretty bold moves. Um, you can kind of see that confidence there, and you see it with her talking to Navarro. Do you think she's kind of a bit... To Icarus flying too close to the sun, and like Helen, as also, yeah
3: I, yeah. I mean, the thing about Wendy is that she's incredibly shrewd and very efficient, and emotionally really immature. You know, I, she doesn't understand herself terribly well, so she's, which makes her great fun to play. So she's yeah. very instinctive, she's very reactive, and she's very shrewd. So when she makes the right choice, it's really effective, and when she makes the wrong choice, I think it's extremely detrimental to her own emotional well-being.
1: I think you kind of see that parallel between her and Ben also. And you said, can you tell us a little bit more about this, that Wendy's brother was actually a creation that you kind of made up on set?
3: There, there were a bunch of us that sort of came up with this together, but we were filming a scene in the first season where Jonah goes off and starts, they, the birds think that their son is killing animals. And though, so they go off on a boat and they have a conversation, a very heated conversation about how concerned they are about him. I just felt that, that the argument needed to be more specific that it couldn't just be, they were just worried about him reacting this way, but I wanted there to be some link to someone There had to be a haunting of someone else's mental illness that could possibly come through their son. So whether, whether or not that was from Jason's side of the family or my side of the family. And I remember calling our showrunner nearby so we could talk about it. And we made the decision, all of us there at the time, that mm-hmm. it should really be like, it would be Wendy's brother. That I that I would say the line, you know my brother, you know my brother's background, or something like that. So that the the threat of mental illness was a little closer than just spontaneously showing up and Jonah out of nowhere.
1: By the end of season two, and then I think at the beginning of this season, Ruth is very lonely and you know, now she's lost her uncles, her father, and Wyatt and Tree are kind of like out of the picture. So how do you think that affects her
0: relationship with the birds? moving forward? I think Ruth, she spat in her own water, I think. Like, I think she was trying, in the beginning of season three, she was trying to justify what she did with her family just so she could be with the birds was like, it was an okay thing to do. And then ultimately, she was alone and then they didn't have her back. But I think Ben, he gave her something that she needed, which was unconditional love and, um, And then when he was gone, it was like, another death, (laughs) you know?
1: A scene that really stood out to me with you guys. I mean, everyone's talking about your big blow up against each other at the end of the show. um, When you're both in the mental health facility and kind of trying to figure out what's best for Ben. Um, What was it like filming that scene?
0: It was really hard. If I'm being really honest, I've actually, I've had a family member that I've visited in a hospital before and I was very self-aware of like what I was doing because I didn't want to say or do the wrong thing. And even though it was scripted, I still felt that. And that's what you actually feel when you are visiting someone who is in a horrible place, like the worst, but you don't want to say or even move the wrong. It's, it's very weird. You're like so self-aware what you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Laura, Ozark tends to focus on really challenging topics like heroin abuse, gun violence is clearly, you know, runs throughout the show. What was it like to kind of take this on and to, to shoot those scenes in the car where you're with him and then when you're alone?
3: Well, it's just great. You know, it's, it's the opportunity to really collaborate with another person. So Tom and I would, you know, spend a lot of time because a lot of that stuff comes in just how specific you are with the decisions that you've made about the relationship and the things that maybe you've been through together. So there are references that you have about each other that you don't even have to vocalize, but just that, you know, there's imagery. You can look at someone as an adult and have an image of them as a six-year-old in your mind, you know, little, you do all that Mm -hmm. sort of work so that then it's there for you on the day. So more than anything, it was just a great opportunity to work with a great actor, you know, to work with Tom Pelfrey and, and craft all that stuff together so that, you know, when all that went down at the end of the series, hopefully it would, it would have an emotional impact on the audience.
1: Do you think Wendy really cares for Ruth or was she kind of... Is, is it still just part of the strategy to keep her in the circle? What do you, what do you guys think about that?
3: Yeah, I, I, you don't get hurt unless you unless you're invested. <laughs> mm. You know, if you don't care about someone, it doesn't hurt. No, It really doesn't. Underneath
0: anger, there's pain. The yeah, pain the, comes the, from somewhere. Yeah. And
3: I think they see a lot of each other in each other. They're they're more similar than they are different. Yeah, you know, they both yeah. participated in the death of beloved family members. They've, you know, they both want something better than what they came from. They both care deeply about the people they love. They understand the power of money. They're both
0: impulsive, the too. They're
3: very impulsive. They understand impulsive. the power of negotiation and being a player. You know, they're not afraid to jump into that, either of them.
1: Yeah, I think something that really helps Ozark stand apart is that the women in the story aren't necessarily just Part of the story, you guys are really pushing the narrative and really kind of kicking things off, good or bad. It makes things interesting.
3: It's Janet McTeer's character. Yes. yes. You know, it's... And, their,
0: and our, Lisa Emory Lisa Emery,
3: Snell. And, you know, and the thing that I love is that we're all blonde.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, we're not just, like, blonde. We're all kind of the similar tone of blonde to... But it sort of
3: turns the blonde woman stereotype like right on its head. And there was nothing intentional about that. It's just how casting worked out. But there was one moment where I was like, oh, my God, we're all blonde.
1: I (laughs) know. And we all
0: get highlights from Lindsay and everyone. Blonde
1: blonde
3: (laughs) squad, you know. Yeah.
1: Blonde squad. I think some interesting dynamics I'm looking forward to. um, Laura, I really loved seeing you with Helen and kind of talk shop about motherhood, but then also, you know, working in a drug cartel. And and Julia, um, how do you think Ruth feels? Where does Ruth stand with Darlene? Because that's another female character that I think is, you know, very intimidating, definitely very impulsive, but maybe a bit more of a wild card, shall we, shall we say?
0: I don't think, I think Ruth is like kind of terrified, but also fascinated with her. She's like, wow, she's really crazy. She's crazier than me. How can that be? (laughs) She's intrigued by it. But she's also terrified. She doesn't want to say the wrong thing.
1: Yeah, they're both, um, it's interesting because they're both kind of key players in the Ozarks. And when she shows up at your trailer, it kind of hit me like, oh, these two have never really interacted. Are you excited to kind of see where that dynamic goes next season? I'm
0: so excited. I mean, (laughs) also Lisa Emery is like, the nicest woman and she's so good she's so sweet she's, such, she's, a sweet so sweet. she's yeah. such a sweetheart but and she's just such a great actress so I'm super excited and I feel like that whole storyline is going to be it's going to be really interesting even with me and the birds and being with Darlene
1: well I think that also speaks to the similarities your characters have like you said Laura like she says oh yeah I I tripped once too it's They both kind of have similar experiences.
0: Can you imagine if Ruth and Wendy teamed up? Oh, I know. (laughs) Everyone would be really in (laughs) trouble. It would be bad combination.
1: It's too bad, too. uh, I was thinking, Laura, that Wendy can't go to therapy next season. Because I think she could really use it. But unfortunately,
0: uh, Mary Louise Burke she shouldn't have bought that mclaren another amazing woman those scenes were the like some those scenes were some of my favorite scenes this season and this is
3: where alexa fogel who's our casting director really like her contribution just shines when you see people like mary louise burke when you see lisa emery when you see like who would have thought to cast lisa emery in that part Right. It's, it's, just, it's just great. She knows New York actors really well. And she understands that even though you, ha- you might not have seen something from an actor, it doesn't mean that they can't do it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of casting directors who will only cast off of what they've seen an actor do before. And they won't look outside the box. And Alexa, you know, I think is, you know, one of the reasons why she's so good is that she, she knows that a really good actor can, can do a lot, that their range is much larger than people give them credit for.
1: Yeah, it was it was really fun uh, watching those scenes with you and Jason and her and those kind of th- that infusion of humor. And I loved seeing that yellow McLaren. pull up.
3: I mean, it was just great. It's So good. That's all. Chris Bundy. I mean, that's just great.
1: I know filming is kind of up in the air right now, but I'm actually curious if you guys have received your scripts for season four yet or what does prep for the next season look like um, now that you're Based at home?
3: Well, I know they're, they're thick in it. And, you know, I know this is a different time and everything <laughs> is different. But based on past seasons, I sort of wait for Chris Mundy to be ready to tell me what's happening. And I have complete faith. So I have no, there's no desire to get in there and get the information or anything, because I know that he'll tell me when it's the right time. And I just sort of sit patiently and wait for that to happen. And I assume it will be the same way, but God knows everything's upside down right now. So who knows what will happen?
1: Are there any other scenes that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? Like, what were you most excited to shoot for season three?
3: Kind of all of it.
1: I mean, Uh, yeah, I was going to say the same thing.
3: I mean, and it's all so interconnected that you sort of can't pick one thread out without the whole Mm -hmm. thing falling apart you know the balance between the work with Tom Pelfrey's balance out by the work with with Felix who plays Navarro and the stuff with Julia and the stuff with Jason and the stuff with the children and it's like this great mobile sort of it's all you mm-hmm. kind of can't take one without something else
0: right yeah it all it all everything connects you'll have a you know scene on page 35 and it'll, it will connect to this scene in page 11 <laughs> It's, you know, and it was just exciting to just go back to work and work with our Ozark family and everybody on the show has their moment in a way, which I, I really, really love.
1: All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for sharing all that with me. Um, And thank you for taking the time to talk right now. Stay safe. And uh, congrats again on season four and on your Emmy nominations. And I wish you two the best of luck.
3: Thank
1: you so much. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Little Gold Women, made in collaboration with Netflix.
1: Next week, we'll be back to discuss Unorthodox and talk to Shira Haas and creator Anna Winger. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Magna Farta and on the Blank Check podcast, where this month we are covering the films of Gina Prince-Bythewood.
2: And you can find me at LaFergs and at RondaRousey.com, as well as my Vampire Diaries rewatch podcast, The Empire Diaries. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run-Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after.
3: Listen to The Run-Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts.